Well, good morning and uh, welcome, everybody. It's good to see uh, it's good to see you here in person, and uh, it's welcome as well to uh, to all of those watching uh, with us uh, online via Zoom. It's great to great to see you all uh, again. Um, so today is a well, we don't know whether it's going to be a day of celebration um, or commiseration, do we? But uh, um, if you're Italian, you've probably got two times as much chance of winning today, haven't you, with the tennis and the, and the football. Um, and uh, we'll be watching. I'll be watching, hopefully, this afternoon and, and this evening. Um, so a day of uh, tension, a day of, hopefully, celebration, a day of joy, and a day of anticipation. Um, but it just got me thinking about, you know, joy and celebration. And, and I was thinking, you know, even if we were to win tonight, the, um, you know, the joy and the celebration don't last forever, do they? You know, a few days in, you know, we're on to the next competition. It will be the Olympics or, or the next thing, won't it? The next focus. So it, lift, it does lift the spirit of the nation, of course, but uh, these things don't last forever. And I was thinking about the joy that we have in God, the happiness that we have in God, which is not just for a tournament and for a season and every four years when a competition comes around. This joy is for every day, isn't it? Um, you know, rejoice, the Lord is king, you know, um, and, you know, rejoice, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And that's true of every day that we're alive is a day of celebration, a day of thanksgiving, that the Lord is king, he's creator, he's reigning and he's good. And so as I was thinking about this theme of celebration, uh, I was thinking as Christians, we have so much more to celebrate than, than, a, than a sport tournament, even good as those things are. We have something that is permanent and eternal in Christ, don't we? And uh, just to anchor us in that, I wanted to remind us of uh, why we worship. Psalm 98 says this, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Well, this morning you can join uh, with the trees of the field and the rivers you can clap your hands, you can stamp your feet, you can dance, um, you can do all of those things. You can raise your hands, you can be joyful and jubilant because we're in the presence of the King who has done wonderful and marvelous things. The only thing you can't do is, is to sing, of course, but there are lots of other ways of expressing our praise to God. So let's, uh, let's stand and sing about the God who does marvelous and wonderful things. Let's stand together.
We're going to move now into a time of, of open prayer. So if you're here and uh, in the building and you want to pray, just put your hand up and uh, Adrian will come to you with a mic. If you're on online via Zoom, please uh, unmute yourself and just uh, let's just focus on giving thanks to God and adoring him, worshipping him in our prayers. As the Spirit leads, please lead us. Paul's letter from Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Slaves, obey in everything those who are on your earthly masters, not with eye service, as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, work heartily, and serving as serving the Lord, not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Thank you for your word. Lord, I remember um, hearing someone with, on TV when we won the football last match saying that no, nothing else can give us this kind of feeling of, of <laughs> joy and happiness and just made me feel so sad, Lord, that mm. it, people will feel like that, Lord Jesus, that yet, yeah, football, yeah, whilst winning is great, Lord, but Lord Jesus, we have won with you, Lord Jesus. Mm. We, you know, you, the joy that you can give us beats yeah. all football matches lord yeah for any supporter lord thank jesus you. and and just i just thank you that the joy that people feel later lord if we win would will just be will be a joy but not a joy that you can give mm. nothing amen. can compare yeah. to you yes thank you, you jesus give us. thank you lord yeah amen amen to meet together in your name, to mm. declare that you are our Lord, you're our God, you're our Savior, Lord, and we delight to be able to come together as part of your body, Lord, and I pray that you just present yourself by your Holy Spirit with us this morning, that we may just hear from you, that we may be touched by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we just want to be open to you, but just thank you that we are able to meet the freedom we have to meet like this, uh, to be able to praise you, Lord. So many places and people are not able to do that, but just thank you for the freedom that you give us. We want to know that joy of your salvation, Lord, as mm. God has just prayed, Lord, that you bring a joy that is beyond this world, Lord, a joy yeah. in our lives. Even in difficult situations, we can know that joy because you are our God. You're completely for us, and we love you and praise your holy name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are the Redeemer, that through the cross you've 
redeemed us at the price of your own life. You gave your life to set us free from eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is death, but you paid that, that, that penalty. When you rose from the grave, the penalty was fully paid um, because death no longer hold, held sway over you. And no longer does death and sin and separation, Lord, hold sway in our lives, but through faith. We've been set free to love you, to serve you, to worship you, to obey you in everyday life. And we thank you, Lord, that we find freedom in loving and serving and submitting to you like no other. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. And Lord, we would continue to, to, to want to pray uh, for our nation, um, Lord, and particularly as, uh, as key decisions are coming up on the 19th of July, we pray for the government, Lord, for wisdom, um, Lord, in terms of the new, uh, the new guidance that will be given. And Lord, we pray for churches up and down this land that their voice would be heard by government Lord, and we pray for a release from the regulations that stop us singing. Lord, we pray that you would uh, enable your people to sing your praises again. But Lord, we recognize that in, in, in our community, in our church, there are those who are still struggling um, with sensitivities around, uh, around COVID. And Lord, we, we want to pray for, for all of us, Lord, because it's not just a a case of straightforwardly reopening and business as usual, Lord. We know that uh, there are um, people are still struggling, um, and uh, it may take time for people to to readjust and for for things to to return entirely to to normal, whatever that is. And so, Lord, we pray for the the elders and the deacons and the leaders of the church, Lord, as we seek to respond uh, to the new government regulations. We pray for. Uh, denominations of churches, Lord, as they issue fresh guidance to churches. And Lord, we pray for people returning to church, that you would just give them confidence and that, Lord, you would enable us as leaders to make our churches safe spaces, spaces that enable people to feel confident and safe in worshipping and coming together. So, Lord, we, we, we don't know um, how all this is going to work out. But we do pray, Lord, confidently asking that you would just give us wisdom and guidance as we move forward. Lord, that you would restore community, restore singing, restore fellowship in your church up and down this nation, that your people would be able to come together again and celebrate with joy and thanksgiving. But Lord, we also recognize this morning that there are, there are those in our church fellowship who are struggling uh, because they have lost uh, loved ones recently um, and Lord um, I, I just pray for those this morning who are grieving the loss of relatives even this last week Lord um, and uh, I just pray Holy Spirit for your comfort your strength for them and their relatives as they come to terms with with their losses and maybe just in a moment of of, of quiet let's lift before God those people on our hearts and minds that need a touch of, of Christ's grace and mercy and healing and help. So just, just in a moment of silence, just 
make your, make your prayers for those known to you. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because you were made human in every way as we are, yet you were without sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you know all of the struggles and, and frailty of being human. And thank you that you offer us grace and mercy and help. So we just receive that promise now, your grace and mercy and your help through the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're now going to, uh, to, to hear from Mark uh, via video, so uh, enjoy. Morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode on God's design for work. Now, I'm not baking or cooking this week, so we're actually going to look at a passage from the Bible where Jesus is teaching his disciples about their attitudes and ambitions. It comes from the Gospel of Mark. And when we see that, we'll think about how this shapes our attitude and motivation to work. So let's have a look at that video now. Jesus left Copernicum with his disciples, and they went to the region of Judea. Crowds of people followed him, and as usual, he taught them. After a while, they stopped outside a house and sat down. Many people were trying to bring children to Jesus so that he could bless them, but the disciples stopped them. When Jesus noticed this, he was cross, and he said to the disciples indignantly, Why are you stopping the children? Don't you remember what I said to you in Capernaum? Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, because my Father's kingdom belongs to them. Please understand, because this is true, unless you believe with the simple, unspoiled faith of these children, you will never be able to enter my Father's kingdom. You don't need knowledge or power, you don't need money or influence, you just need to trust as these children trust. Then. Jesus placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus carried on teaching about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he had finished, he and his disciples headed for Jerusalem. As they continued on their journey, two of the disciples, James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, took Jesus to one side and asked, Jesus, can you do something for us? Jesus replied, Okay, um, what is it? I'll see what I can do, but I can't promise anything. 
we want to be the most honoured of your disciples when you're in glory. One at your right hand and one at your left. Can you do this for us? Please? Really? Jesus retorted. You don't have a clue what you're asking, do you? Do you think you can suffer everything that I'm going to suffer? The rejection, the persecution, even death? We can, they answered, not really knowing what they were saying. Well, you're right, but not yet, because you're not ready. But as for the positions of honour, that's not for me to decide, said Jesus. They have already been allocated. Sorry. When the other disciples found out what James and John had asked, they were fuming and began to argue once again. Do you think you're better than the rest of us? They demanded. When Jesus heard this, he called the disciples to him. He knew what they were arguing about. So he said, Have you seen how the Roman rulers reign? They make sure everyone knows who's in control and they lord it over the people. But the kingdom of heaven isn't like that. You can't be like that because whoever wants to be great must be a servant and whoever wants to be first must first become a slave. You see, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. So, what is this saying about our motivation for work? What is Jesus telling us about our attitudes to life? Well, in the Roman world, and remember that at this time, Israel was occupied by the Romans, or children had very low status. But Jesus invited the children to come to him. He explained to his disciples that to be great in the kingdom of God, to be accepted into the kingdom of God, you have to become like a little child because children were wholly dependent on their parents for their food, for their shelter, love and status. And what Jesus is saying here is that we need to be wholly dependent on our Heavenly Father for these things. God gives us our shelter, our love and protection. God provides for us and in Him we find our significance and security. So often we seek to find that significance and security, that acceptance from our own achievements, whether that's at work or at school, whether it's at home or at play. We are looking for personal recognition and reward or gain from what we do. And this is the mistake that James and John made too. They worked hard and they thought their reward should be status and power. 
but they missed the point, hadn't they? They were looking for status and recognition, but Jesus explained that our motivation and their motivation should not be for our own selfish ambition, but for God's glory, because we love God and our attitude to work in whatever form must be completely changed, must be transformed from self to God. We seek to please God through our service. We glorify God by our work and in our work. So let's choose today not to worry about what others think, not to worry about our human status, but instead let's choose to make sure we are glorifying God in all we do. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Mark. Um, I could hear the sort of the uh, approval around the room there. That was great. That was really, really helpful. Sets up the, uh, the sermon as well really nicely. Um, I, Mark, are you all group going out now? Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> I'm glad that was before I started speaking, to be honest. <laughs> so our reading is, um, yeah, all about um, slaves and masters, actually, from, uh, from Ephesians 6, um, verses uh, 5 to 9. Um, we go back to verse five, Carol, is that all right? Thank you. Great. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we approach this uh, passage with all sorts of uh, ideas from our modern world about slavery. But uh, Lord, help us to cut through to the, to the heart of what you want to say to us about uh, service and work and employment and uh, being employers this morning. Help us to hear your voice. And uh, even more importantly, I pray that we would wholeheartedly and sincerely obey your word this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're uh, continuing our series in uh, uh, God's Design for Work. I'm looking today at a new attitude uh, to work. Um, now, 
I've been very I've been trying to be careful uh, through this series to be inclusive. I rec we recognize that we have a, a considerable proportion of our uh, church uh, membership who are retired and who are not in paid work. But I'm talking about work in terms of service, um, whether that service is voluntary um, and unpaid or whether that work is paid and you're under contract. So as uh, the Bible tends not to differentiate too strongly between sort of paid work and unpaid service. And so I'm not going to, to do so uh, in this sermon either. So whether you serve in, uh, in the community voluntarily in any capacity, whether you uh, serve in the home uh, as a parent or grandparent, or what, whether you serve in the church, wherever you serve, this passage has something to say to you. Um, so please don't say, well, I'm retired. Um, I'm not under contract anymore. This is, I can just kind of tune out. This has great relevance to all of us as all of us as servants of Jesus, whether we're on paid work or unpaid work. But you might ask, what does first century slavery in the Roman Empire, you know, what has that got to say to us? Um, and obviously slavery has all sorts of um, modern connotations, unhelpful things attached to it. Well, in the first century uh, Roman Empire, when the New Testament was written, there wasn't a great deal of difference actually between slaves and the average free person. Slaves wouldn't have looked any different in terms of race, speech or clothing. And often slaves in the ancient world were doctors, nurses, teachers, um, they were, if you like, servants of wealthy people who were tied often to a, to a particular family or home. But they made the same wages as free laborers and were therefore not usually poor. In fact, in terms of class, um, ancient slaves were often uh, sort of could be described as middle class or working class. And often slaves in the ancient world could accrue enough personal capital to buy themselves out of slavery. So first century slaves were often only slaves for 10 or 15 years. So they may be able to buy themselves out by their late 30s. However, slave owners at the time were still often abusive um, towards their slaves. And so Paul's teaching here is really, really radical. When he, when he tells slave owners or slave masters to treat their slaves with respect, that is really radical for the time, because in the Roman Empire, um, slaves were, were often mistreated. Um, and Paul says, no, treat them with dignity and respect. So already the trajectory, the journey that the Bible is making in the New Testament is away from abusive forms of uh, sort of... Um, employee-employer relationships towards uh, a more e egalitarian approach. Now, there are key differences between slavery in the world of the New Testament and our um, new world experiences of slavery. Um, this is something that we need to understand. Um, you cannot um, apply the same rules or the same experiences about new world slavery to the world of the slaves in the New, new Testament. Um, they were paid, they were often middle class, and they could often get themselves out of slavery. We know, sadly, um, that our history as a nation and as an empire is littered with terrible, terrible 
uh, oppression and subjugation of slaves. It's, it's appalling, the history that, that we have. And sadly today, slave, um, slavery is, is a reality. Sex trafficking in the UK is, is rife in our own nation. And the Bible roundly condemns kidnapping and trafficking in slaves. Now, you might say, well, why then didn't Paul speak explicitly about slavery in the New Testament? Um, well, there was already a trajectory uh, starting, a journey um, towards a movement away from oppression and brutality in the New Testament. Paul didn't see it as his role at the time to seek to abolition, to abolish slavery in all its forms. That came later. So thankfully, with uh, um, social activists like William Wilberforce, um, we see at least an end in terms of legislation to new world forms of slavery. But sadly, it's still going on and we still need to work and support those charities that are seeking to oppose slavery in whatever form it comes, whether it's sexual slavery or child slavery, and what, or whether it's racially um, motivated, wherever we see slavery, we should seek to uh, oppose it and speak out against it because God is a God of justice. Um, but already in the New Testament, in the early days of slavery, we see Paul making radical revolutionary statements about how slaves should be treated by their masters. Um, so already that process towards abolition is already beginning. Um, we're, we're, we're watching um, Downton Abbey a bit on catch up. Um, we, we saw, I think we saw it the first time around, but we're just going back to it for fun, really. And um, I think first century slavery was a bit more like the below stairs servitude that we see on Downton Abbey than, it, than is New World slavery. OK, so the servants in Downton Abbey get the food, get the benefit of food, wages and accommodation and by and large are not treated harshly and brutally but they are tied to that family and that house for a time. And that's a bit more like first century um, slavery. And actually the New Testament uses the metaphor of slavery in a positive sense. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, when I was thinking about songs, I was, I was reminded of that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Well, we're not slaves to fear, um, because we're a child of God, but we are slaves to Christ. I don't know if you're aware of that. Everybody's a slave to something. You're either a slave to your own flesh or you're a slave to Christ, according to the New Testament. But the New Testament spins that metaphor on its head and sets up a paradox. And that paradox is that when you're a slave, a servant of Christ, you find true freedom and joy and happiness. That's the paradox. The trouble is our modern and understandings of slavery always cast that, that metaphor in a negative sense. But Paul uses it in a positive sense. Um, Romans 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, see it? The benefit you reap that leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So being a slave of God leads to eternal life. Um, now, as human beings, we were created to be servants, slaves of God in the garden, in a positive way, in a whole way, all right? Adam and Eve were created to serve and obey God as creator and king, right? 
Are you with me so far? You're okay with this? I know this is it's a little, it's controversial, it's difficult, I know, but we need to get our heads around this. And they were to live in submission and obedience to God. And as his servants, they, living under those boundaries, they found life in all its fullness, joy, eternal life, right? That's how we were created. We were created to find joy, happiness, contentment, fulfillment in submission to God as our master and Lord and creator and king, right? That's why Paul can use the metaphor of slavery to say, you are slaves to God. God owns you. He's bought you with a, at a price. Do you know Jesus bought you at the price of his own life on the cross? That's how, that's how much he loves you. He redeemed you and set you free with his own blood. He paid the wages of your and my sin, which is death, in our place for us on the cross, right? He set us free. He's bought us back from slavery to sin and death and separation from God. And he's made us his servants. We are free servants of God. That's the paradox. We are slaves of God. We are his servants, but we are eternally free. So as Christians, we are all servants of God. Whether you are in paid work or unpaid work, you are a servant, a slave of God. Um, but in a positive way, in a good way. Serving God is not um, oppression and brutality. We have a father who is loving and merciful and kind and compassionate, don't we? And just. So serving God brings life in all its fullness. It brings joy to commit each day to God and to say, I will serve you in my place of work, in my community, in my church, in my family, is to find freedom and joy, actually. And there are principles here from Paul's teaching to both slaves and masters that can teach us about how we're to serve and work as Christians. Um, you might say, well, I don't have a master or boss anymore. You may have been a boss. You may have run your own business, but now you're retired. Um, or you just don't have a boss. You're self-employed. You are your own boss. I'm not under contract anymore, you might say. But look at what Paul says to all Christians in verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people wherever you are serve wholeheartedly are, are you at school serve wholeheartedly are, are you at university serve wholeheartedly are you a mother a wife a grandparent serve wholeheartedly are you serving in the church voluntarily serve wholeheartedly are you serving in food bank serve wholeheartedly wherever you are serve wholeheartedly Paul doesn't say if you're paid and under contract serve wholeheartedly he doesn't say if you're under retirement age serve wholeheartedly folks this is all of us in the room okay I just want to keep it really simple and clear we have an audience of one we all have a boss, don't we? 
every single one of us. Um, Oswald Sanders, in his book, talks about the audience of one. So even when the boss isn't looking and you're tempted to flick around a bit on social media at work, Jesus is your boss. It is Christ we're serving, in the words of a song by Graham Kendrick that we'll sing later. So we're to serve wholeheartedly for the audience of one. Whatever we're doing, whether we're working with others or whether we're on our own, there is always an audience of one. Jesus is the ultimate boss whom we work for and serve. We're not serving ourselves, are we, in the workplace? Um, by the way, it's fine to be ambitious. It's fine to go through professional development and push yourself as far as you can. There's nothing wrong with all of that. All I would ask myself and you is why are you doing it? And who are you doing it for? If God opens the door for promotion or for a new job opportunity, there's nothing wrong in taking that promotion and that new opportunity. So long as we're not seeking our own glory and status in it. But as Christians, we're looking to bring glory and honor to Jesus. God will place some of us in positions of, of status and leadership. God may put some of you in charge of uh, many resources in a business. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing, isn't it? That we should have influence as Christians in position of leadership and business. We need people of, Chris, of Christian influence in positions of leadership, don't we? Don't we? Hello? <laughs> we need politicians. We need business people. We need teachers. We need people in the media. We need people at all levels of society to be salt and light. So there's nothing wrong with ambition. The parable of the talents tells us that, but it's selfish ambition that we're to avoid. We're to work and serve for the glory of God, wherever we've been placed. Okay? Is that all right? Okay, you're with me. So we're not to do the minimum work necessary to avoid penalty, right? If we have an audience of one, Jesus, who's the ultimate boss, we're working for him and his glory ultimately. So we should be known as Christians as the best workers, as the most conscientious workers, as those who are dependable, people who are known as those who are honest, people of integrity, people who are truthful, shouldn't we? If we're working for the glory of Jesus, shouldn't we be people who are conscientious and trustworthy? People that in the workplace, the sort of people that people come to for advice. We were talking yesterday uh, in our, uh, we, we, have an, we, we are doing a learning hub with London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, and we we're talking about evangelism. And um, one of the ways that works in the workplace in terms of evangelism is if you're known as a Christian, and if you're known as a person of integrity and honesty and truth, people will kind of start to seek you out and go, you're a Christian, aren't you? Um, would you pray for me? 
Or you could say, I'll pray for you, even if they don't ask for it. And before you know it, you might have a number of people who are seeking you out for prayer. This is not just theoretical, by the way. This happens. Um, so when you are known as a person of integrity, people will seek out your advice. And they may even ask you to pray for them. And if they don't, you can say to them, do you want me to pray for you? 95% of the time, people go, yeah. Even if they don't quite know what that means. So what an opportunity you have to bear witness to Jesus in your workplaces. And the reason we're to be people of integrity and honesty and truthfulness and conscientiousness is verse five. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So the people that have God has put over you in authority, frustrating and irritating, though they sometimes are, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. And as a pastor, I'm probably in that category, right? I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and that's okay. But we're to obey earthly masters as if serving the Lord. Respect and fear. Because Jesus has placed them in that position of authority with all of the questions that that raises in your mind about if the Lord is sovereign and ruling over creation, why on earth has he given me this boss? <clears throat> he, he knows. He knows. He's sovereign. Even over your messy workplace situation, he's sovereign. Even among imperfect church leaders, God is sovereign. Do we believe that? Doesn't mean you can never suggest things, you know, and make comments. I would like to think that as a leader, I'm open to comment and suggestions and willing to listen to people. You know, I should be, shouldn't I? what leadership and management is about isn't it listening and saying sometimes i got that wrong or taking in data from people that tells you actually we might need to change direction a little bit here but we can do this all this feedback with respect can't we and sincerity of heart vice versa too you see if we begin to work as though we're primarily and ultimately serving jesus will be freed from the temptation to overwork and underwork. Um, overwork is often driven by a desire for a greater status in other people's eyes, right? People will often overwork because um, they're, they're seeking a greater status and they, 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 they've forgotten about a kind of work-life balance because the work, the business, the bottom line has become everything. Now I'm treading really carefully here because I'm aware that if you're, a in, if you're a teacher, if you're in the NHS and in other occupations at the moment, you are probably having to overwork right now. You know, that's a fact. But I'm talking about the normal, whatever normal is. Can I say that again? Oh, people are going, oh, please don't mention the new normal. I'm trying not to, honest. 
you're all fed up of these phrases, aren't you? I, you know, honestly, we're going to die up if we hear that one more time. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There are people in the NHS, teachers who are, who are having to work ridiculous hours to cope with all the regulations and dot the I's and cross the T's. And in so many other occupations too. I've mentioned two, there are so many others. But in normal conditions, people normally overwork because they are driving themselves forward, trying to gain greater status and recognition. And people often overwork when it's self-ambition is at work as the driver. God, we can relax as Christians, actually, in work, because if we work hard and we are conscientious and trustworthy and truthful and honest, if God gives you a promotion and you believe it's right, you can take it with integrity. So long as you've prayed it through and discerned that this is of God, you can advance yourself. God has got nothing against advancement and ambition. It's just, who are you doing it for? Are you serving the Lord or are you serving your own selfish ambitions? It's all about what's motivating us, isn't it? What's driving us underneath. So if God opens a door for a new role or a promotion, whether that's paid or voluntary, sometimes it can be right to take it. And we won't underwork if Christ is our boss either. Because if Jesus is our ultimate boss and we're working and serving for his glory, we don't want to bring his name into disrepute, do we? You know, as a Christian, you represent Jesus wherever you go. People look at you and your attitudes and words and actions, and you are the representative, the ambassador of Jesus. You are his presence in that hospital, in that school, in that university, in that community project. You are his hands and feet and voice. And people are looking at you as a living, walking, talking, open Bible of who God is. The way that you relate to people, talk to people. Either honours Jesus or brings him dishonour. That's how important your service is to God. So we can't be known as people who are lazy, sloppy, incompetent, because it's Jesus' reputation that's at stake here, not just the companies or the schools or the hospitals. There's far more at stake, the reputation of Jesus. Are you with me here? Um, Imagine having someone in your home who you've admired all your life and you never thought you'd meet. Um, you revere the person by reputation and they come into your home for a meal. Now, you're in familiar surroundings, right, when normally you'd be very relaxed with your friends, very chilled out, cracking a few jokes, really easy going. But even in the familiar surroundings of your own home, you're putting on a bit more of an effort because this person who you revere is in your home. So you're, you know that um, bone china that's on the top shelf that you've never used? You're, <laughs> no. <laughs> you're getting that down and you're dusting it off because this is an important person. So even though you're in familiar surroundings, you are wanting to honor that person. How much more in the familiar surroundings of our churches, our workplaces, our community, our families, should we be honoring Jesus, the boss? 
who's always in our space. Wherever we go, he's with us because his spirit indwells us. How much more should we be seeking to honor him, right? Paul says Christians should obey earthly masters with sincerity of heart. This means we're to serve with focus and integrity. As Christians, we're to be known as people who are conscientious and hardworking, focused on the job. And we're to work not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. So we're not just to work hard and be focused when the boss is looking over the shoulder. But all the time for the audience of one. We don't just do the necessary to get by, right? What we can get away with. We're working for Jesus. Finally, Paul says that Christians should serve wholeheartedly. Do you serve wholeheartedly in your job? Do you serve wholeheartedly in the church, in the community, in your, in your family? Do you serve wholeheartedly? Um, do you know what wholeheartedly means? It means with cheerfulness and joy. Um, now, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't always filled with cheerfulness and joy when I changed nappies when the children were very young. But our underlying attitude should be one of joy and wholeheartedness and sincerity in whatever role we're serving in, right? Hello? Finally, in the ancient world, Christians were sometimes in the position of being slave owners, right? There were Christian slave owners, praise God, back in the day, equivalent of our bosses and employers. And Paul had radical instructions um, for masters. Verse 9. Um, oh, we're getting there. Verse 9. Hang on, I'll go old school and get the book out. There we go. Oh, we're getting that. Thank you, Carol. Way. Thank you, Carol. You're a star. So, <laughs> and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is an extraordinary thing for Paul to say in a, in a hierarchical culture where slaves were often abused by their masters. He's saying, treat your slaves as if you are a slave yourself. Um, and just as slaves were to show respect uh, to their masters and work with sincerity of heart and goodwill. So Paul says, masters, employers, bosses, show the same attitude to those that work for you. Now, this didn't mean, of course, that slaves weren't punished if they did wrong. What it meant was that slave owners shouldn't use threats or manipulation against their slaves. So Christian bosses and Christian leaders are to reject all forms of manipulating, demeaning, or abusing people through blackmail or threats or you know you know those threats that people make in the workplace don't they you know you get put in 
roles that you don't want to be in if you don't toe the line that sort of thing paul says as christian bosses no there's a different way god is impartial god doesn't see the distinction between slave and master or race or anything else he sees a person who he loves and you are to love that person as christ loves them um, so we're not, as Christian leaders and managers, we're never to use guilt and coercion to motivate people, you know? That's, we've all done it. You know, the guilt trip that we use in a talk or a sermon, you know? It's not, it's not acceptable, is it? People have to be motivated by the gospel, not by our guilt, and we should take an interest in people as people, not in commodity, not in commodities to get the task done. It's really important, isn't it, for Christian leaders and bosses and employer, employers. People are not tools or commodities to, you know, to further our own causes or, or to generate a bottom line. People are people and we need to treat them with respect. because God has no favorites. We all have an audience, don't we? Um, some of us are aware of that audience and some are not. Some um, perform and work hard to please parents. Um, now, don't dismiss that out of hand. Um, it's taken me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I didn't often hear that was good or well done from my parents. And I don't mean that as a negative, I don't mean to demean them in any way. It's just, it didn't happen in our household, right? So it's taken me a long time to get free of, you know, of that sort of motivation to try and please my parents. I now hope that I plead, I'm working for the audience of one. Others try to impress their peers through hard work and, and status. Many of us that can't even live up to our own standards. Um, I don't know whether you're a perfectionist, <laughs> but if you're in a job where it's never finished, it'll drive you nuts. Um, I would say to anybody who's a perfectionist, don't go into teaching because it will drive you crazy because you'll never come away feeling you've, you've finished the work, the, the job. You never, never feel as though you've finished, which is why I love cutting hedges, by the way. So I'm back to the hedge. I broke the um, hedge cutter the other day, by the way. Um, so we're back to the shears, or Sam, thank you, is back to the shears. Uh, <laughs> why did I go there? I don't know. But, um, perfectionism. You know, I, I can see the job's finished. All right, I can see something. Um, in ministry, it's always unfinished because people are unfinished. We've all got the scaffolding up until Christ returns, right? Right? All a work in progress. So there's gonna be problems sometimes, niggles, misunderstandings. It's kind of frustrating, but it's joyful at the same time. I love my job, but it is frustrating at times. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. We don't have to overwork because we're set free to work for the audience of one. 
we can enjoy working and serving when we're working for him, right? We don't have to prove anything to God. He knows us already, right? So if he gives us that promotion or says, I want you to further your career or go back to college or whatever it is, we can do it with peace and joy because we're not about ourselves. We're about the audience of one. And we don't, we don't need to be slaves to underwork either, to sloppy or lazy work or incompetence because we're working for him. We're set free to be servants of God. Um, we've been redeemed and set free from a life of self-centeredness so that we can work and serve wholeheartedly for the glory of Jesus. And that's a life that's worth living. That's a life that's peaceful, content, fulfilled. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've set us free from overwork and you've set us free from underwork. Lord Jesus, we don't have to work or serve to prove ourselves to anyone but you. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the audience of one, that everything we do, we do ultimately to please you and for your glory. What, how liberating and freeing that is. Lord, help us to be people who are known as wholehearted, sincere, joyful, because we're serving Jesus, the audience of one, whether that be in our families, our homes, our workplaces, our community, our school, our university, wherever we're loving and serving you, Jesus, let us be people filled with joy and wholeheartedness that Jesus might have the glory in and through us. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to sing the Servant King because it seems appropriate. So let's stand and sing.
Zoom and you'd like prayer, then uh, please do uh, phone uh, John on the uh, the number or text John on the number on the screen there, and uh, John will uh, will put you into a, into a breakout room if you'd like uh, if you'd like prayer. So please uh, use that number at the end of the service if you'd like prayer for anything that's been said or something unconnected, perhaps. Now may the grace of God, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, please uh, wait and the welcome team will uh, guide you out. Um,